Hello, I'm Ivan, and welcome to the Amberlite Public Speaking Podcast. Thanks for joining me again. This is episode 9, Storytelling 2, The Hero's Journey Continues. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that there aren't any sponsors for this podcast like there are on other podcasts. The only way to support this podcast is to buy the iPhone and iPad app called Amberlite Speech Timer. It's a speech timer app that you can use to practice your speeches, time people at your debating or public speaking club, and you can use it as a time indicator for your meetings. If you want to know more about it, go to amberlightapp.com, that's amberlightapp.com, and see the full details there, including demo videos. I know some of you listening have already bought the app, and I'd like to thank you for doing so. It's enormously appreciated, and every purchase really puts a spring in my step. So thank you so much. If you don't have an iPhone or iPad, I'll also explain some other ways you can support the podcast at the end of the episode. All help is appreciated, and it really does help me to keep going and makes me want to make even more podcasts. Okay, let's get on with today's episode. In the previous episode, I described the hero's journey, which is a storytelling framework that's found at the heart of many great stories. It's found in Greek mythology all the way up to the latest movies and novels. I won't recap it here, so if you want to know more, you should go back and listen to the last episode. Clearly, the hero's journey is a tried and tested storytelling framework but I now want to look further into why it might be such a successful formula, and I also want to think about what public speakers can learn from it. When telling a story, sometimes it's tempting to take the easy route and have your story travel on the simplest route from A to B. But that's boring. If we want to engage the audience with our storytelling, we really need to take them on a journey. And real journeys, interesting journeys, are not smooth. If your story just sounds like a trip to the shops to buy a pint of milk, then no one will maintain much interest. The point of the hero's journey is that the route is not simple. There must be struggle along the way. A story, in the end, is not the destination, it's the journey. Make the journey interesting and people will want to know what the destination is. Anyone who's ever watched a TV show that gets cancelled before it finishes knows how frustrating it can be not to know what the ending is. That's why stories are so powerful. They make us care. They make us want to hear more. We don't need to use the hero's journey in our speeches, but even if we don't, I still think we can learn from it. So let's go through the hero's journey step by step and see what it teaches us about storytelling. I'll just note here again, this is a very simplified version of the hero's journey, so please refer to the show notes for the full version. Step one, we start with the hero in their normal life. For most of us giving a speech, we'll probably be telling a story about ourselves, so the story is about the speaker. It therefore makes sense to explain what our normal life was before we start the story. This is important because we're making ourselves relatable to the audience. We're saying, hi everyone, I'm just like you. Or maybe even, hi everyone, I used to be just like you. This lets us create rapport with the audience. It also lets the audience know that they could go on this journey too. This could all happen to them. 
And that's powerful. It makes storytelling more vivid because now they relate to the hero of the story and they can imagine themselves in the hero's place. Step two. The hero decides or is forced to go on an adventure. The hero initially refuses to go. When giving a speech, we really need to tell people why we're embarking on this journey. We're about to tell them all these hardships that are suffered, so if we give weak reasons, the story won't make sense. Let's say I'm telling a story and it starts with me accepting a job offer. I could say I was unemployed and I was in need of money. I was offered a job and I took it because, obviously, I need the money. This doesn't seem very strong from a storytelling perspective. Let's imagine a slightly different version. I was desperate to earn money, was offered a job, but then I'd heard that the prospective boss was an absolute monster to work for. Now, there's a tension. Now, there's a reason for me to stop and think about whether I really want this job or not. I need the money, sure, but anyone who's ever worked for a bad boss knows just how awful that can be. Immediately, this seems much more interesting. Why is that? I think it's more interesting for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it creates tension, and tension keeps the audience listening. If there's no tension, the audience stops caring about what will happen next. And I note here that it doesn't have to be tension between two people, although it could be, but it can be an internal tension. I, as a speaker, can argue with myself, as if there are two conflicting voices in my head, that there's an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. We can all relate to that. The other reason this step of the hero's journey is interesting is it really makes the storyteller explain why this is all important. They have to tell the audience what's at stake. If I simply say that I took the job because I needed the money, that's weak. If I say that I took the job even though I knew the boss was a monster because that's how desperate I was, that's a lot stronger. Now the audience knows not just that I'm desperate, but now they know exactly how desperate I am. Another neat trick you can use here is foreshadowing. If I say I took this job even though the boss is a monster, then we now know what to expect from the boss when she or he appears in the story. I can either meet those expectations or I can wrong-foot the audience and then portray the boss as a teddy bear. Whatever, it, it allows me to introduce a character earlier on and give the audience some indication of where the story's heading or maybe so I can set them up to wrong-foot them in some way. Step 3. The hero meets a mentor or wise one. In a speech, it's often useful to have pulls of wisdom that we can draw upon. We often use quotes in speeches because it allows us to use someone else's authority and hard-won experience to bolster our own message. At this point in my story, I can meet someone more experienced than me who can give me advice. This is very useful for my story. Another reason this step is useful is that travelling on your own is a bit boring for an audience. Having people to talk to on your journey makes the speaker seem like less of a loner, and being able to put some dialogue into a speech will probably make it a bit more interesting. And again, some tension here might help create interest too. 
Step 4. The hero goes into foreign territory. This foreign territory could be anything. It doesn't have to involve travelling anywhere. It just needs to be the introduction of something unfamiliar. We've all been in a position where we've been working at a company and then a new manager arrives who turns everything upside down. Or we've had a new neighbour who moves in next door and they're the sort of folk who unleash chaos upon everyone within a 200-yard radius. Or maybe you've had a child. That usually turns people's lives upside down. At this point, we ideally want to explain this new world to the audience. Why is it different? What is it that makes us uncomfortable about it? And remember that if we've done a good job of explaining normality in step one, then half of the work has already been done. The key thing here is that we shouldn't take it for granted that the audience will see this new world as unfamiliar in the same way that we do. We need to help them see it that way. We need to paint them a picture. Step 5. The hero is tested. This is probably the most substantial part of the story and it's where all the horrible things happen. If I was telling the story of the time I was unemployed and then took that job with the horrible boss, then this is where I would be explaining all the indignities that they put me through. I'd also be telling the audience about all the alliances I made with the other staff who worked for the same boss, because nothing unites workers better than an awful manager. And I might even tell the audience about how me and my newly found friends started to work together to defeat the boss monster who's making our lives a misery. Once again, having other characters in the story makes it a bit more interesting. It gives some opportunities to have dialogue and create some more tension. Step six, final confrontation. Finally, there is a confrontation with whatever it was that was feared, be it a nasty boss, passing a driving test, making an important speech, or anything else. This is really the ending of the core story. This doesn't need to end in victory, but it's probably going to leave the audience happier if it does. If it must end in failure, then you need to think very carefully about how you're going to turn it around in the next step. Speaking of which... Step 7. Return home. And this is the epilogue of the story. This is where our hero returns to normality, having learnt lessons from his travels. This is the opportunity to tie everything up in a neat bow. We can re reflect on the recent experiences. We can discuss what lessons have been learned. The important thing to observe here is this. We may be tempted to stop our story at the final confrontation. It seems obvious that that's the end of the story, but if we do, we won't have shown the return home and that everything was okay in the end. We won't have shown that lessons were learned. We won't have shown that there was a point to this whole story. By bringing it all full circle and taking care to wrap up the story, we go the extra mile to ensure that the audience come to the end feeling satisfied. The hero's journey is useful not because it gives a cast-iron structure to slavishly stick to, but because it reminds us of all the important details we might need to create a strong story. You don't have to use them all, but you should consider them all. I hope you found that useful. And if you did, I hope you'll spend a moment to support this podcast. 
As mentioned before, you can buy the Amberlight Speech Timer app by going to amberlightapp.com. That's amberlightapp.com. A new development is a LinkedIn page. Yeah, everyone's favourite corporate social network. Uh, the LinkedIn page for Amberlight has no followers at the current time, so I'd, enormous, I'd be enormously grateful if you could search for Amberlight Speech Timer on LinkedIn and follow the page. Maybe you could like a few posts while you're there as well, so your colleagues and ex-colleagues will see them too. I'm hoping to do some exciting things on LinkedIn in the near future, so it won't be a waste of your time, I promise you. So just go to LinkedIn, look for Amberlight Speech Timer and follow. Additionally, there is Twitter, where the account name is Amberlight App. Please retweet some of the tweets there, especially about either the app or the podcast. That would be really useful. Amberlight is also on Google Plus and Facebook, so some likes on there would be great too if that's the way you roll. The Amberlight Public Speaking Podcast is available on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's on SoundCloud, and you can get to it on all decent podcast apps. So tell your friends about it. And on any of those services, if you can leave a review, I'd really appreciate it if you could. Five stars, please, if you can. I mean if you feel like it. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it, and I look forward to catching up with you again on the next episode. All the best. Bye.